it's great. It has been a real honour to be here. So this is, I think, number four. I did session three of Breed, four of Breed, number one, so I'm on a roll. <laughs> so I'm either going to be ecstatically excited or very sleepy. <laughs> For those of you who are at Breed and saw the um, sofa moment when I was being interviewed, Elspeth asked me, who would you like to come to your house, Peter of Paul? Those of you who watched that moment would have saw me go absolutely frozen, went into very deep thought. Helen was sitting front row wondering, how can I prompt or help my friend like now? Because she looks totally lost. Because all I could think of was, here comes Peter, here comes Paul. Fly away, Peter, fly away, Paul. And I was like, and then I went, how does she know the Peters and Pauls in my life? Which one does she want me to say? I was totally lost. We went in a very silent, cognitive reflective, lost moment. It, it took me until supper last night while eating some food. Maybe I needed food, that was the answer. I said, oh, she meant, do I want the Apostle Peter or the Apostle? My answer was, Gordon, my husband. I thought, maybe I won't get into trouble then. <laughs> but it is my honor to be here, and it was fantastic to be at Breathe. So what am I going to preach about this morning? I'm going to talk about the overflow. The overflow. No, that's not your toilet having issues. It's about our life living from a place of being resourced. I believe in these days, perspective is something that we need to keep. And what alters our perspective can often be just the sound around us. I wonder what the average Russian's perspective is on Salisbury at the moment. Probably very different from ours. Because you see, the sound and the influences that we imbibe actually orientate the way that we look at life. I think our society often puts some great demand on us, go, go, go. You know, and we can keep going, 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 but actually deep inside the very essence of who we are is maybe if we stop a bit of uncertainty, maybe even confusion. You know, we look back at last week, how great was it? I'm fine, you're fine, we're all fine, great, it's Sunday. But was it great? Should it be great? Are we getting too reflective? Well, Monday comes, here we go, 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 go. And we just get going. Our schedule dictates it, life dictates it, etc. And then we have these moments when irritating people come from Oxford and begin to make you think, was it that great? Were you doing the right thing? Was I just guessing and hoping? Or do I know in my knower that I know? I don't know. I've been on a bit. I mean... Angie and Steve have been on a sabbatical, but I've been looking and assessing a little bit my life. I'm 57, been married 38 years on 21st of March. Um, I've got two kids, 34-year-old daughter, 31-year-old son, five grandkids who are nine, seven, four, three, and one, three in Melbourne, Australia, and two in Peterborough, just north of here. So, you know, I've got plenty to call my life. Done stuff, but every now and then I sort of think, should I, what should I be doing? Am I doing the best? And God, in that sort of reflective season, spoke to me these words start slow, achieve more. Start slow, achieve more. And you see that whole aspect of stepping back to disconnect, to download, to reload, 
actually takes courage. If you're like me, I quite like that positive pressure, busy, busy, go, go, go. I don't have to think, reflect, think about it too much. Am I really doing the right thing? Am I really satisfied? And actually choosing to alter that schedule, choosing just to stop a moment, takes courage. It's actually a trust issue. You see, if God is saying to start slow to achieve more, to actually lean into God and start slow, stop, pause, reflect, sealer. Well, God, I don't think I've got time to do that. Do you know how many emails I've got? I've got this to hand in. I've got that place to go, this one to see. My schedule's rammed. I've got kids to pick up from school and the food to cook, and I didn't know this guy was dropping in to collect that, and the toilet's broken, and, and I'm multitasking madly. Start slow. No, I need to go hard. It's a trust issue. And there's so many things that demand our life, but God says, if you start slow, you'll achieve more because I want you to live in an overflow. I want you to learn a rhythm of life that will help you do life well. And so choosing to alter these busy schedules takes courage. Have you got the courage to let God say, whoa, stop? So I can download, infill, overflow, direct you. Proverbs 8 puts it like this. It will come up on the screen and you can read it with me. 1, 2, 3. Proverbs 8, 33 to 35. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find life Receive favor from the Lord. You see, it's that typical scenario of the tortoise and the hare. Too much activity often actually means poorer quality of essence of life and less is achieved. So I want to ask you, what triggers you into that activity? What is it that makes that Duracell bunny that can't find the off switch? Is it demand? Is it that external pool of people, expectations, situations? Is it everything on the outside shouting, go, 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 go? Or is it hunger? What do I mean by that? Is it that inner resource, that part of you that's saying, I know in my knower, I've got to. I know in my knower that this is what I'm made to. Because I believe in these days, God is wanting to set us up to do life well. All around us in our society, there's the big discussions of mental health issues, mindfulness, centered lives, yoga, trying to put in new rhythms of life into our mad pace of life. And they think they're being original and forward thinking. Actually, go back to the Bible. It's been there a long time. We are made for sealer. We are made to stop, step back, download, infill, give out. We're not made to just go, 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 go. You're made to overflow. So, do you recognize in your life the difference between outflow and overflow. You see, if you're just on an out, 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 outflow, 
and you're not being resourced and it's not a bubbling up overflow, no wonder we end up exhausted. Mental breakdowns, needing stress leave, needing sick leave, but we know we're not really, really sick, but it's just like we've hit a wall. We're blanked out. Because you see, when we just press the out, 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 Jesus didn't design us like that. We're made to drink. Come to me, all you weary, heavy laden. I will imbibe, give you rest. I've got a rhythm of life that means you can do extraordinary things, amazing things, outstanding things. You can achieve more than you ever thought possible, but you've got to find a rhythm of life. And it's called trust. It takes great courage to stop, step back. When the whole of the demand is go, 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 don't you know what you've got to do today? So how do we restore the overflow? How do we restore that very essence? How do we live with those contradictions that we even find in the Word of God, where God on one hand says, be still, wait, consider, reflect, behold, still, mystic, reflective. And then the other part is strive, take hold, enter, push, don't forget, seek, do, run, go. And even in the Bible, we have that slight conflict. Well, it's both and. But we can't keep pressing outflow if we haven't start slow, inflow to overflow. I believe here in Cambridge, I believe at this time, God is looking to raise up a whole new way of living, a whole new standard of people, influencers, outstanding leaders that actually achieve more from a place of incredible, just beauty and attractiveness. So how do we restore that overflow? We need to realize that our space of inheritance, that place that God has promised, how many of you believe God has promised us we can do life well? You know, God has said, I'm going to give you life, life maximized. That isn't just busyness. That is a quality of life. That is body, soul, mind, spirit being aligned. That you just feel life is good. That, that, you know, that's what he promises to give you. The enemy says, but he says, but we have an enemy, and his purpose is to what? Kill, steal, destroy. So immediately here, you've got conflicting purposes. God is, it's my purpose. Give you life, life maximized, life to the full, body, soul, mind, spirit, overflowing with Zozo life. An enemy says, I've got a purpose, and it's very personal. He comes right into his face, I'm going to target you. I want to kill steal, destroy everything in your life world right now. My mandate, purpose of life, is to do you down. And God's high from heaven is, no, I've come to give you life maximized. And we need to realize the very promise and inheritance of God is also our battlefield. The very promise is where the enemy comes, and it always feels personal. I'll preach to you. <laughs> Genesis 26. And this is that 
story of the wealth. And here's a man, Isaac, and he's just transitioned, taken a legacy from his dad, Abraham. And he is in a good place. And if we read in Genesis 26, and Isaac planted the crops in the land, and that same year reaped a hundredfold. He nailed it. That is achievement. You know, it says in Luke chapter 8, you know, if you plant your seed, obey it, persevere with it, do it. Three harvests, 30, 60, 100. Well, he nailed top score. So he's obviously in a good place. But then we look what begins to happen in his world. Because God was blessing him. And this Isaac became rich and wealthy, continued to grow and had another upgrade and even more wealth. He had so much, many flocks and herds. But that very blessing of God and the upgrade began to trigger responses in his people personality world. And it says the Philistines began to get triggered with envy and jealousy. You see, there was an atmosphere shift in his relational life around him. And they began to think, maybe a bit rich, well, he's a bit up himself. Let's nail him. Let's make his life hard. She thinks she's so clever. Let's tell her what we really think. You know, they, everything goes nicely for him. Well, we'll just set him up in the workspace. And you see, right here in his season, had he done anything wrong? No. Good, bad things, unfortunately, happen to great people. But how are we going to handle those times when life comes against us and how are we going to keep our overflow to show that we are Jesus people, that in times of trouble and times of wrestle, the promises of God still work and my life will still overflow, upgrade. And here's Isaac. And it says, when these Philistines then decided, well, we'll stop up the wells. But they didn't just bring in a 10-ton truck with cement one night and wallop it. It was handfuls of dirt. And so they filled it up with dirt. You know, the, the subtle thing about that is sometimes you don't know it's happening. But you just begin to feel, well, life was so great, but now I just feel a bit whatever. You don't quite know what's going you could just feel the atmosphere in the office. You don't really know. You just go in and it's like a bit blah. You go in to sit at your workspace and suddenly, oh, I can't be bothered. You, you don't know quite why that overflow isn't there. But we've got to understand that our inheritance, the promises of God are also your battlefield. And something in you has got to say, no. Now we see that in the natural. You see here, this was the Philistines, literally hands of dirt. But think about Job. This was in the spiritual. Here was Job. And if you read the story of Job, it would be very similar. Job was outstanding. His marriage was great. He was having children. His um, livestock was increasing and increasing. His wealth was increasing and increasing. And in an atmosphere of really nailing the harvest moment, of everything breaking through, in the spiritual atmosphere... This devil who says, I'm after you, comes into the presence of God and says, I want him. 
I'm going to shift some of the spiritual atmospheres over his life so suddenly what has been open will be withheld. What has been fruitful will suddenly be with training. What has been light suddenly feels dark. What has felt joy suddenly feels sad. How many of you know, you know, you just wake up one morning, you think, hate today. You don't even know why. Hello, we need to wake up. And you see, there was an enemy who just said, I want to block these wells. And he actually came in and he began to block that well. And something in you needs to say, no, not on my watch. Spring up, oh well. Because we have. Anyway, so I've got a question for you. What is the dirt? What is the tactic, the dirt that the enemy's losing to block the overflow in your life? Because God has made you to overflow. And in this season, he wants you to have a perspective. He wants you to understand that there is an amazing God who has got incredible purposes for every one of us for this day, this season, this time in Britain, going through Brexit with Trump as president, whatever else, Russia and things. There is a God who's greater than all of that, and he can do more abundantly than we can ask, think, or imagine. Where's your overflow? Where's your story? Where's your song? So what's the dirt that the devil's been trying to dish in your life? I picked three, three Ds because it seemed good at the time. But I'm sure there are many different things. Number one D was disappointment. You know, it's just very sneaky. It just comes in. This is the Rachel sort of definition, bit pastoral, bit biblical, bit just whatever. This is, I think disappointment is a deep sense of God was not there when I wanted him or needed him. It's, a, it's that profound sense of insecurity that's left after feeling of, God, you stood me up. I really expected you to do this by this time, and I was there. I gave in. I did well, where are you? Have you ever had that moment? God, I, and sometimes you almost don't know, am I allowed to say it? But I feel, God, fail me. You stood me up. I feel real stupid right now. Come on, God. Disappointment is actually the sense of God's missed appointment. God, you should have met me. And what that disappointment that the devil dishes out gets rooted in a broken sense of expectation. And so what it becomes is a trust issue. God, if I really stretch out, will I feel stupid again? God, are you really there? And the devil begins to play with that. Remember with Job, with all that he had, and here was his inheritance, and the devil was saying, ah, ha, ha. Let's just change some of the atmospheres over your life. Then we'll see. What was the cry of Job? Yet, though you slay me, I will. Come on, preach with me. I will. This row will. I will. Trust. 
And you see, the devil's put handfuls in there. And when it gets in our head and messes with our thinking, it downgrades our hope expectation. But God has come, sent a girl today to say, come on, spring up, oh well, break that power of disappointment. It might be a trust issue, but trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean into all your ways of thinking. Ignore your ways, acknowledge him, and he will find you the great path. Disappointment, discouragement. Discouragement, it's similar but not the same. Discouragement, those hands fills of dirt. Discouragement literally deals with strength. Encouragement is literally to reinforce. To reinforce with courage or strength. Encouragement. Opposite, discouragement is to disempower. So that... If you're going through discouragement, the devil's just doing it, you find yourself thinking stuff like this, oh, whatever. I used to be there. You know, it's the psalmist David. I was glad, very glad when they said, I was first to the house. Yeah, another service, I'm in. No problem. You're there. And now it's like, yeah, whatever. A bit tired. Need a break. Need to look after myself. And suddenly you just feel... You're self-protecting. I've got to conserve my energy. God's got to conserve my strength. We've lost the resource overflow of the strength of God. The joy of the Lord is my strength resource overflow. We've got disconnected, so we begin to self-conserve. And we begin to get a bit of that cynical, yeah, been there, done that, got that T-shirt, whatever. Your turn, you can go, whatever. And you just, it's the language of disencouragement. Has the enemy put some soil in you that's just brought out some of that? You see, this is a more perspective issue. The enemy's messed up your perspective. And he's taken out and walked what really is your place of resource. The joy, the house, and God. And said, nah, look after yourself. You don't need God. And your perspective has changed from what is your life source. Discouragement. No, our strength comes from him. Disappointment. Oh, my trust is in you. You never fail. And the final D I wanted to give you is distractions. And distractions are just, of course, hundreds, thousands. Depends who you are. It's just those subtle little snares and weeds that begin to creep in our life. Often we're not doing essentially Bad, bad things. We're just doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. We just lose that sense of urgency. And it's that classic thing of just lots of good things hijacking the excellent for your life right now. This is a priority issue. And we're not even aware, but the devil just puts a little bit of sand here and there. And our trust is downgraded. Our perspective has got warped. And our priority... It's just lost its passion, and the dirt has gone in. And what happens to that well of life? Well, it doesn't look very pretty. Next slide, please. Fatbergs. How do fatbergs come? Well, this is a fatberg courtesy of Thames Water. It was found in um, Tau Hamlet's Way. It weighed over a ton. It took two days to remove out of the hole of the well and the sewer system. And it basically had been formed by baby wipes with a bit of food fat. And it congealed over such a long time. And you see, 
No one just went in there and thought, let's bung up to our hanglets with as much grot and sludge and grunge as we can. It happened over years with a baby wipe here and a baby wipe there and a bit of lamb roast dinner and pork roast dinner all sludging together until the whole thing came to a grinding, rather revolting thing. Very nice thought for you if you have your Sunday dinner. <laughs> but what happens when the enemy's put in, it just gets rather grungy and sludgy. Stuff has happened. But God wants to unblock. Because you see, you are called to be holy wells. He wants you to discover that holy well on the inside of you. He wants you to come against the enemy's plan. Let's put all the sludge and the grot and the stench in there where it's just got a bit yucky. And, and you know it doesn't feel great, but you can come into the worship place and you can just about get the water through again. Thank you, Jesus. But then you go away again, it's like, oh, seriously. But God doesn't want you to have just enough. God wants you to live in the land of more than enough. God wants you to upgrade your quality of life. He says, you are holy wells. And I was thinking about this. My background is I'm a missionary kid, so I didn't grow up in England. But I do remember when I came back here that the, um, finding some of the holy wells where we lived. We ha I lived near St. Albans. And so the holy wells were very much sort of quite religious and for me quite strange because after India, Africa, I was more used to those holy sort of places, but these holy wells sort of had that slight, ooh, is that weird, bit strange? Because they had been sort of separated into the mystical sort of religious stuff. But I felt God say, I want to awaken the holy wells of this nation. And you see, in every one of you is a holy well. What is a holy well as opposed to a well? Well, there was a difference in definition if you go right back to the 1100s, 1200s, which I've done a bit of research. I did a bit on Cambridge. There are nine holy wells right in Cambridge centre. It's nine holy wells. And you can have a look at Cambridge, but I'll tell you from Oxford. Oxford is a city in a swamp. It's the Oxford, the ford, the crossing of the river, the Romans took one look and said, give it a miss, because it was stench, poo, thing. The sanitation was foul, because everything from the Seven Hills rolled into Oxford. But in the middle of Oxford, there's a holy well called Frideswide, which is now Christchurch College, Oxford. But Frideswide was an abbotess who moved in about 1200, and she began to take the sick, the diseased, to this area, and they got healed. And as they were around this holy well of Frideswide, it got mystical, got all sorts of spiritual stuff. But actually, the difference between the holy well and the bore wells of Oxford was this. A holy well has an internal spring and resource. That is the definition. And if you go into holy wells, you will find that they always have a spring. They're usually much more shallow, but they have an internal spring. 
Some of them down in Cornwall have got little silver pipes. And when it begins to rain, it literally spouts water out. I could show you some amazing videos of holy wells. Once they get soaked in the presence of God, wow, the water pours out. You haven't got to think, can I be a good girl and talk to them about Jesus? It leaks out. Because when you've been in a place, there's an overflow. You can't help. It's living water streaming up out. He's saying, come on, wake up the holy wells of Cambridge. Wake them up. The enemy's plan is to block you up, to put the grunge in you. He said, no, come on, wake up. Tell your story. Sing your song. It's a good day. God is with us. Wake it up in my heart, Lord. And so through history, there has been this evolution of the holy wells and wells. And what happened in the Oxford thing is with the lack of sanitation to animals and people all living together, you know, they put their bucket down and then they put their bucket in the well and very quickly the bull wells just got polluted with human and animal waste and people got very sick. But Frideswide had a holy well. She had the pure well and as she took people up to her holy well. They got healed. They got transformed. They got life. In the end, they took her outside the city and they burned her as a witch because of her powers. Actually, all she's discovered is we need holy wells. What about you? Will you be a holy well in your workplace? Will you allow and challenge every bit of the enemy's plan? Will you change your perspective and step back and say, okay, God, resource me, infill me. Let your water level increase in me so that when I step out, I can achieve more and make Jesus look good in my everyday world. So what are these wells? It's the well of life. Jesus says in John chapter 4, everyone who drinks this water, bore water, oh, you'll be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give, you'll never thirst. Indeed, the water I give becomes a spring, becomes a spring welling up, declaring life, 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 life. God wants to stir it up in your heart. He doesn't want you to live just about do life. He wants you to live life satisfied. The enemy's plan is always to downgrade it. Whatever your season of life, God's plan is always to upgrade it. Will you trust him? Step back, engage, downflow. Oh God, so I can overflow. And where everywhere I go, life, wells of life. The other well, there's many I could choose, but I chose wells of joy. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. With joy... You will draw water from those wells of salvation. We're coming into Easter time. Baptisms. I love baptisms. I love hearing the stories of Jesus taking a life, turning them around, and the Jesus story of excitement. Jesus changed my world. Have you become familiar with your Jesus story when you go to that well of salvation, if it's like, oh yeah, done that, tick the box, is there still a joy? Is there still that incredible, wow God, I am so grateful you saved me. I gave my life to Jesus when I was four years old. I'm a missionary kid and a preacher's kid, so I went to church before I was born. 
10 years old, I was baptized. 11 years old, God filled me with his Holy Spirit. 17, I was in a cow shed in Dales, in one of the big summer camps. I was a very, very insecure, broken girl who'd been bullied all through my high school years. But I heard a man preach and say, God can use you. Will you give your life for the kingdom of God? And I remember standing up and saying, here I am. It was my Isaiah 6 moment. If you can use me, God, have me. I remember at the age of 24, we sold... I was married to Gordon, then had a baby daughter of four years old. We sold everything we had, and we went to Africa to work with Reinhard Bonker. I remember pushing little Nicola in the chair, giving away the last of our money to a pastor that needed to buy a car, and saying, okay, God, we're yours. Use us. I remember at 30 on a floor in Malaysia where God got hold of me and said, it's time to go home now. I want you in your nation. And I tried to be cute with God, but God, where is my nation? He said, Look at your passport. <laughs> You're British. I had lived in Zimbabwe, Malawi, Tanzania, Kenya, Indonesia, Philippines. I can't remember how many other nations, somewhere over there. Papua New Guinea, Brazil, Argentina, Israel, Lisbon, and Frankfurt, Germany. In about seven years and had two kids. I tried to play the game. God, I don't feel English. Grew up in India with my head going this way. Being in Africa with my backside going this way. <laughs> God, when I go to England, I don't fit. And I can be terribly darling, but I get it all wrong. But God began to stir the joy of my salvation. More and more and more, I just find myself saying, Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Is there a story and a song in you that needs to wake up? Is there a well of joy? And finally, if the worship team will come, is there a well of worship? November, November, Numbers 21. I'm doing a Peter and Paul now. Numbers 21. Read it from the screen for me. For there they continued on to beer, and the well where the Lord said to Moses, gather the people together, and I will give them water. Then Israel sang this song. Spring up, O oh well. Sing about it. About the well those princes dug. Dot, 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 dot. You see, I believe God wants to put a song in you. There is stuff that has been dug over the years in Britain, in Cambridge. And I know because I live in Oxford and go to church there when visiting preachers come, they always concentrate on the university and that. Helen went to Oxford. I live in Oxford. Address similar, brain capacity quite different. And I get that. But I think if you have the privilege of living in these sorts of cities, there is a legacy in the land too. And so as a mama that lives in Oxford, I'm after the, the politicians, the reformers. There's something in Oxford of that reformer anointing. What about Cambridge? I, I shared and breathed in October 78, I think it was, 79, I can't work it out. I should have gone to Clare College, Cambridge, to do medicine. I failed. One last thing. And it was my moment of, oh God, what's going to happen? I thought everything had gone wrong. But I've often prayed for Cambridge. Gordon came to Cambridge. He was a corpus. My first kiss was in Cambridge. Grand just met him. 
Don't get 